Hello, hello, welcome to the first Bacon a Mystery, Bacon a Murder, ba ba bam bada bing bada bam I need a shorter intro for this, okay? In our new house, I have a whole thing awaiting us downstairs, but it's not quite ready yet. So instead, for our very first one today, we will be using the gallery wall backdrop. Does it look light academia? Maybe some dark academia. Does it look cool? There's a lot of faces staring at you. Do you feel a little creeped out? That's the vibe I'm going for. So today we're gonna be talking about, okay, I'm gonna be making an heirloom tomato tart. I've never made it before. It's gonna have whipped feta cheese, a puff pastry. It's gonna be delicious. But we're also talking about a book called An Anonymous Girl by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Peganet. Now this book, this book and I have been through it. I don't know what else to say other than that. I have started this book about five times, then stopped it halfway, then restarted the whole thing, and then repeated that process five different times. And I finally finished it this week, and I was kind of proud of myself. I was like, okay, I was a little disappointed in myself in the sense of like, why didn't I finish this sooner? Why didn't I do a bam on this sooner? And here's the cool thing, okay? I love when stuff like this happens. I finish the book, I love it. So I Google everything I can about it. That's like the way that I work. I find out it's being optioned for a short series with USA Network. I'm getting stoked, okay? But now here's the problem. Did you know a lot of books get optioned for these little movie series or these movie deals and they never get made? And then I just get so disappointed because I was already planning the lead character, who they would cast, the vibe of it, where they would film it even, you know? You're applying for it? No! I just want to watch it! Oh. I love after I read something, I get to watch it because it's just like a different experience. So if you guys like this BAM, if you guys like the book, which by the way, definitely recommend checking out the book because BAMs are nothing compared to the book. Um, yeah, we gotta put some, legally, we're not harassing USA Network, but just putting some pressure on them to make sure that this series actually comes into fruition. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean. So let's talk about it. There's gonna be spoilers ahead. It's about a psychiatrist, a very funky psychiatrist at that. Imagine you walk into a psychiatric study about morals and ethics. It's for women aged 18 to 25 years old. You're supposed to just sit there, answer a couple of questions on the little computer, little survey, little questionnaire, and then you get paid $500. Are you kidding? I would do that right now in a heartbeat, right? So you're doing that. But then the psychiatrist says, I would love for you to do some off-campus studies. You're like, well, more money. In my house. <laughs> you're like, well, more money. This is amazing. But then you get your first, your first assignment. And it says that you should walk into a hotel bar and flirt with a married man. Huh. It's a little weird. I mean, what is the psychiatrist planning? Why are they studying you doing this? What are they expecting out of this? Is this really a study or does the psychiatrist have ulterior motives? What's going on? So let's talk about the main character in this book. Her name is Jessica Ferris and she is a uh, she lives in New York City and when I say she is your quintessential New York City main character vibe, I mean it, okay? She's financially struggling. She's a makeup artist. She is also struggling with her family. They live in Philadelphia. They're like a small town family, you know, compared to the Big Apple. They don't understand. They don't get the pressures of New York City. They're just living in Philadelphia. So as they're living there, they're taking care of her little sister, whose name is Becky. Now the problem with Becky, the situation that has occurred, not the problem, my dogs have gathered at the door. The problem with Becky is that she suffered a traumatic brain injury when she was really young and because of that her parents have to just be around her, around the clock, always taking care of her. She can't really, 
necessarily be independent. And so a part of Jessica, she feels guilty because she's not there taking care of her sister. I gotta get better at cutting the tomatoes, you know? She feels a little guilty because she's not there taking care of her sister, but at the same time, she's really happy. But she does fall, she does kind of come across this problem where she has to lie to her parents. She has to tell them, yeah, I'm doing great. You know, I booked these jobs. I, I, I'm working at a theater now. Doing the makeup for the whole cast. Yeah, I mean, it's a small production. It's not Broadway, Mom, but it's something. It's, it's a step in the right direction. But the truth is, she wasn't doing any of that. She was struggling to pay rent. She was secretly paying for her sister's medical bills because her parents thought that they were being, they were being billed on a sliding scale to their income, you know? Oh. But in reality, Jessica was paying for a lot of these bills. And she's and she, really nice. Yeah, she can't pay rent. And she's actually just working on a place called Beauty Buzz. Beauty Buzz is like the Uber of makeup artists. So you would have... This is not a real website, okay? I don't think. So you would have someone go onto the website, book a makeup artist. They would show up at your house, do your makeup. So it seems like somewhat of a dangerous job. Jessica gets booked that day to go do the makeup of two NYU students by the name of Taylor and Mandy. So she shows up with her bag. She's only making like $50 off both these sessions, which is really a lot underpaid for a good makeup artist, you know? So she shows up and they're exactly what you imagine. Those NYU girls gotta love them all okay but these ones they were not the cool ones they were very bratty she's trying to talk to them where are you guys going tonight what's what's the special occasion for a makeup artist um the club <laughs> like that's how they're talking to her and they're like it's the sun have you heard drake was there yesterday and she's like oh cool 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 and right off the bat you can just tell jessica's just not like the other girls She's a little different. She's a little bit, you know, she has to worry about bills. And these NYU girls, they're just trust fund babies, you know? That's the vibe we're getting. <laughs> Could my tomato slicing be better? Absolutely. And maybe it's the tomato's fault. Have we ever considered that part? So she's like, okay, well, it's just gonna be a quiet session. Does the girl's makeup, and that's when Taylor, as she's getting her makeup done, puts her voicemail on speakerphone because she has a message. Hi, this is Ben Quick from Dr. Shield's office. I was just confirming your appointment for the psychiatric study for tomorrow at 8 a.m. at Hunter Hall, room 214. I'll meet you downstairs and lead you way up. Thank you, goodbye. Hangs up. Now Taylor's pissed. What was I thinking? I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna be so hungover. Are you kidding? I have to wake up at eight in the morning and Mandy's sitting there being like, then just don't go. Just don't go to the study. What's the big deal? And Taylor's like, well, it's $500. That's like a sweater from Rag and Bone. Are you kidding? It's $500. And Mandy's like, okay, but like, do you really need it? And so they're talking like this. And the whole time, Jessica is just quaking at her knees. Because she's like, are you kidding me? $500? That's like 10 sessions for her. This is absolutely gnarly. She's, I mean, she would kill for this opportunity. So as the girls go into the bathroom to check up on the work that Jessica has done, she decides to do something that she had never imagined herself doing, which is to reach at Taylor's phone, grab it, and put that voicemail, replay it straight into her ear. Okay, Hunter Hall, room 214. Ben Quick, Dr. Shields, puts it down before they get back into the room. Wait, say, what is she going to do? She's going to show up. She's going to pretend to be her? We'll see. What? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And she's thinking, well, the girl's probably not going to show up. Why don't I just go? Because that means they're going to have an empty opening 
and I'm ages what, 18 through 20, 28, it should be fine. So she just ends up showing up the next day. Saturday rolls around. She gets dressed straight up in the morning. She's not hungover. No, she's not a partier. She's not like other girls. And she shows up. She's thinking to herself, what's the worst thing that can happen? They can just say, no, thank you. And she'll be on her merry way. So she meets with Ben Quick, Hunter Hall, room 214. And she says, hi, uh, I'm here filling in for Taylor. She said that she was sick today. She couldn't come. My name is Jessica Ferris. So Ben says... Oh, um, let me call Dr. Shields and confirm. So Dr. Shields gets on the phone, and she's in. I just need your full name, your address, and your ID. So she gives all of that. She's 28 years old, and she's waiting in the waiting room, right? And she's looking around, and everybody else, they have Starbucks coffees in their hand. They're yawning. They're on their phone. But to Jessica, this is a job. This is a good gig. So she's attentive. She's not distracted. Then she's led into this massive NYU classroom. It's got just rows and rows and rows of seats. She's placed in the middle. Every other seat is empty, except one in the middle has a computer on it. She's okay. taking the whole classroom? Yeah, I don't think it's got to be one at a time, I guess, right? Mm. So she sits down and she clicks enter. It says, these are the rules for the psychiatric evaluation. You have to be as truthful as possible. Even if something comes up and it's an embarrassing or painful moment, that's the point of this, this study. It's completely anonymous. Your name's not going to be out there. I'm not going to be publishing your results. None of that, okay? So just be as honest and dig deep. And it refers to her as subject 52. So it gives her really that sense of like anonymity. So she starts, you know, thinking, okay, well, this is going to be easy. I'm just going to answer all of these questions in paragraph form with the help of Grammarly Premium. Because here's the thing with Grammarly Premium. I feel like when I'm writing up an essay, when I'm writing up an email, no matter what I'm doing that involves a computer, which is pretty much every aspect of my day-to-day -day life, I get so paranoid. Not only am I paranoid about making spelling errors or grammatical mistakes, but definitely about like continuity, about my tone, about vocabulary. I want whatever I'm sending to anyone to stand out. I want it to really be a representation of how I feel and who I am. And sometimes my brain can't do all of that, okay? Okay. So I love the fact that when I just have my Grammarly Premium working in the background, this is like having a digital writing assistant open and available to you at any moment on your computer. It works with Google Docs, Gmail, Outlook, Twitter, your text messages. It practically works with any format. You get this sense of peace, this peace of mind. Yes. You're gonna avoid all those pesky spelling mistakes, grammatical errors with the free version of Grammarly, but I'm obsessed with the premium version because do you know how many times I've sat there going synonyms for the word thanks? Because I don't wanna just say amazing every two seconds in an email. And it's real time because you hate waiting on that proofreading. You hate sending it to your friend, being like, can you let me know ASAP? I gotta send this to my professor or my boss. This is real time. And it also does a lot of clarity suggestions, tone improvements. I mean, it's amazing. Honestly, even just the fact that I've been using Grammarly Premium on my computer and my phone has helped my grammar completely. I've actually learned on grammar by using Grammarly. So cut down on that editing time, write more efficiently, whether it's to your boss, your landlord, your professor, or just to a friend or a colleague. Write more confidently with Grammarly Premium. So get 20% off Grammarly Premium at grammarly.com slash bam. That's 20% off at G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash bam. The first question she gets asked when she clicks enter onto the computer is, 
can you tell a lie without feeling guilty? And she's thinking hard about it and she realizes, you know what, I think I can and I think that I have. You see, I'm a makeup artist and so sometimes my job makes me lie to people. I have to tell a client, no, your pimple, are you kidding? I didn't even see that there. You're not wrinkly, are you? Stop it, you're being silly. And it's not just the fact that I don't wanna tell them that I can see their pimple right in the middle of their forehead. Sometimes it's the fact that Honestly, if I'm nice to them, if I compliment them a lot, they'll tip me more. So it's kind of a win-win situation for everyone. And she presses enter. Then the next question is, describe a time where you've cheated in life. So she's thinking, okay, well, let me think. Oh, shoot, that one time in fourth grade. So she starts typing. One time, I was in the fourth grade, there was a spelling bee. And I decided that I was going to cheat on my spelling bee test. And as she's typing this, a text box pops up and it looks like someone is typing in real time. Like, you know when you just see the dot, dot, dots, but imagine you see every letter pop onto the screen as someone looks like they're typing it, right? And it says, subject 52, I need you to dig deeper. What? So she's like, okay, this is really creepy. Was someone watching me this whole time? Were they just, were they listening or looking at my answers in real time? She always imagined that Dr. Shields would be looking at this at a later date, would get all of the answers compiled. But is it, are they watching me? She's like looking around, right? But she decides this is $500. That's insane, okay? I need to be honest. I need to do well on this study so I can get paid. So she digs deeper and she starts typing well, what if I'm an accomplice to cheating? Is that the same thing? Because sometimes I go home with men at the bar and when I get to their place, I have a one night stand and that's when I go to the bathroom and I realize that it definitely looks like there's a woman living here. And I just kind of tell myself, even though it's not reasonable, ah, it's probably just a roommate. Even though I know that's not true. Is that cheating though? I mean, I don't know. The guy is <laughs> cheating, that's for sure. So she continues with the rest of her questions and honestly two hours flies by and she realizes that she has to come the next day and repeat the whole process over. It's a two-day study and she's just opened out about everything like her financial situation, how her best friend Lizzie still gets an allowance from her family and she doesn't. She feels like the only person that she can really rely on is herself. And for whatever reason, the psychiatrist responds back by saying things like, that must be really hard for you. I totally understand. And she can't help but think, wow, Dr. Shields sounds like a compassionate person. She imagines him to be like a Santa Claus, just this old man with maybe a beard, just very insightful, like a grandpa, like you just trust him. I bet he's a successful psychiatrist. So she leaves the study excited for the next day, and that is when we are graced with Dr. Shields' perspective, who happens to be a, a very interesting person. So the main thing that they point out is that Jessica lied. She Jessica lied, lied? Jessica lied trying to get into this uh, study on ethics and morality, which is ironic because, because Taylor had called in sick. Taylor never said that she was sending in a friend to replace her. She just called in sick. See, that's what I'm saying. How can yeah. she get, how would she expect to get away with that? So she knew that she lied, but there was something about Subject 52 because she just, I mean, the whole time that she was in the room answering these questions, she was vulnerable. Not once did she try to look at her phone. Not once was she distracted or bored. She was just into it. And that chapter ends with the saying, this test could free you, Subject 52. You just have to surrender to it. 
So that night, Jess decides to do what she does often, is to have one night stands. Um, we learned that she had some very interesting, like she probably had a traumatic experience. And I can say this like after reading the whole book, but at this point you're like, wait, was it because she had an ex-boyfriend that just was traumatic? Or did she, did something happen there? Like was the breakup traumatic? Or did something happen in that relationship? It's a little bit unclear, right? But we know that that's kind of the reason she has a lot of one night stands. The main being that uh, that night she decides to go home with a man by the name of Noah. Now, she's going to end up dating Noah for, like, the whole book. But it's not that important for some reason. <laughs> okay, like, it's, like, kind of important, but, like, not that important at all. So I'm just going to skip ahead. It's good. It's so good and detailed. So go read the book. But now we're making a one-inch border. You're not making a border. You're cutting it off. So the next day, she goes in for her study. She even opens up about her one-night stand with Noah to Dr. Shields. And she's like, I can't believe I'm telling some old fart over there about my one-night stand from last night at a bar. This is ridiculous. I mean, what kind of, what is my life now for $500? This is what I'm just resorting to. And she tells you know him about a lot of other things in her life, how she's going back home for Thanksgiving. She hasn't been back in four months. She misses her sister. But she's also nervous to go back, you know? Thanksgiving is a is a rough time. She's really just telling him all of these things. And at the end of it, she gets her $500 and she walks away. She goes to Philadelphia and she sees her parents and she realizes, wow, they look freaking stressed. What's going on? What has been happening since I've been gone? I don't understand. And her dad is avoiding the question and finally he tells her, listen, there's a company buyout happening and I'm about to get laid off from my job. She starts freaking out. Making an egg wash, okay? So she's she's freaking out. What do you do? Like, what's going to happen? What about Becky? What about the medical bills? They, they had this childhood house since she was young, but they had to refinance it to pay for more of Becky's medical bills. And she's just kind of stressed. She's trying to enjoy Thanksgiving with everyone, make them feel like, wow, this is a great time that we're spending together. But all she can think about is her financial problems, which, like, can you blame her? And that is when, right over Thanksgiving, she gets a text message. Hi, it's Dr. Shields. Are you in town this weekend? I would love to have another session with you. And so she's thinking, well, sessions equals more money. Are you kidding me? Of course I'm in town, except that she's not. So she's like, okay, what do I do? Do I tell my family that I'm not a makeup artist right now for a theater? Should I just tell them that I'm doing this weird psychiatric? No, but I signed an NDA. What do I do? What do I tell them? I gotta leave. I gotta leave so that I can make it into town, stockpile as much money as possible because God knows what's gonna happen when my dad gets laid off. So she just tells them something came up with work. I gotta go. So she heads back from Philly to New York City and texts Dr shields back yeah yeah of course anytime you're available i'm ready so saturday rolls around and she's expected to meet with dr shields this time not at the nyu campus but in their professional office and she's she's nervous just because like i wonder what this office space is gonna look like i wonder what dr shields looks like but instead of meeting dr shields she ends up just getting another computer and the question was if you see a friend being cheated on would you tell them like, let's say it's your fiance's or your best friend's wedding and her fiance cheats on her in front of you, kisses another woman. What do you do? Well, here's what I do. I'm going to go put this in the oven at 425 degrees for 15 minutes. I'll be right back. <laughs> and she goes through with the same questions of, you know, if someone does you dirty, do you want to get revenge? Do you think that revenge is deserved for that person? And at the end, the doctor asks one more question. Answer it one way, Jess will walk out of here and never return. Answer it the other way, 
and weird things might happen. Dr. Shields is asked if she's ready to take this test to the next level. Do you want to do in-person studies? Let me explain further in my office. So she writes back, I'll do it. And she leaves the office feeling a little bit nerved. Like, what's going on? Why did I agree to this? I mean, I do need the money. This is amazing money. Imagine these are the computer session money. How much money am I going to make meeting this doctor in person? Why is she nervous, though? Because, I mean, what does that mean? It's just kind of like ominous. Like, what do you mean in-person experiments? Like, what, what am I going to do? I don't understand. At least now I have the safety of like, I'm just looking at a computer screen. Regardless yeah. of what my answers are, it's so anonymous. I'm not looking at a person. It's completely just freeing. But now, now it's weird. So she finally decides, and I don't know why she didn't do this sooner, but she decides to Google Dr. Shields when she gets home. And she's doing Dr. Shields. There's a ton in New York City. Very common last name. So she starts Googling Dr. Shields NYU, a bunch pop up. Dr. Shield's psychiatric study on ethics and morality, more pop up. So then finally she's scrolling, 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 and she finds a picture of Dr. Shields. And she is hit with the realization that she is a biased motherfucker. Dr. Shields is not a man. In fact, Dr. Shields is Lydia Shields, Dr. Lydia Shields, and she is a beautiful, mesmerizing, charismatic looking woman. Huh. And she's like, what? Why did I? Oh, I mean, that makes sense. Nobody ever referred to Dr. Shields as like a she or a he, just always Dr. Shields. And in my head, my stupid, sexist head, I thought it was a man. Like this old Adishi, like this old Gramps. Yeah, old but in Santa reality, Claus. An old Santa Claus. But in reality, it's like a woman in her late 30s. She's got this beautiful strawberry blonde hair, these mesmerizing blue eyes. She just looks like these cheekbones that look like they're carved out of marble. Just the, the epitome of elegance and sophistication. And I've been telling her about my one night stands. So she starts <laughs> freaking out a little bit. I mean, but at the same time, she was never judgmental. She was never mean about it. She was so sweet. But now the question is, why is she paying me for this? I don't live a crazy life. I'm not like a superstar. I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm literally a normal person. I don't have crazy, weird responses to all of these survey questions. Why does she care so much about the choices that I make in my life? Like, I don't understand. Enough to pay me hundreds of dollars? So she finally meets with Dr. Shields and she is not chucked. The pictures actually don't do her justice. In person, she's much more poised. Her posture is beautiful. I mean, she is literally the, the epitome of sophistication and grace. Her office is meticulously cleaned, beautiful. She sits down and meanwhile, Dr. Shields is studying every single move that Jess makes. For example, she's got a love seat in her office and a wingback chair. She says that most of her patients choose the love seat because it's, it's you know, it's a comfortable place to sit. Mm -hmm. But the wingback chair, it, it's a, it's a, it means power. Mm -hmm. So typically, a lot of her male patients will sit in the wingback chair because they want to feel like they have some power in a very vulnerable environment, right? So typically, the patients that choose that chair are very uncomfortable in that setting, like she knows off the bat. And that is exactly the chair that Jess chooses. That's horrendous. Yeah. Like, imagine going there, even the way you sit or where you sit is being analyzed. But you know what's crazy? The fact that I was like, okay, in one of my psychiatrist's office when I used to do in-person therapy, um, there was a wingback chair and there was a love seat. Yeah. Who so, was sitting okay, in a wingback chair? No, but here's the crazy thing. The psychiatrist sits here, right? Yeah. The love seat is here. Yeah. And then the wingback chair is here. So face to face. I would sit in the wingback chair. Oh, really? So I'm like now overthinking, okay, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> but okay, wait, but like, what? But the love seat, you're a lot closer to the psychiatrist,、uh, which I didn't like. Like it just felt like because the room is big, right? The office is huge. Well, this one was, and so the wingback chair. I'm thinking, well, okay, we're looking at each other. We're a good distance away. It feels、uh, comfortable. Yeah, you're being analyzed, boo boo. Yeah, I was being analyzed. But then the, the love seat. I also thought, oh, maybe that's for like couples counseling, you know. Why didn't you sit there then? Because <laughs> <laughs> like you know, but there's like more people involved. You sit there together. Ah, don't you think so? Sure. I mean, oh no, oh no! Now I'm analyzing the fact that I've been analyzed. <laughs> <laughs> But if I had the choice to sit anywhere, or lay down anywhere, or specifically sleep anywhere, the answers are so clear to me. It would be on a Helix sleep mattress. Let me explain. Let me explain. Okay. So I have experimented with a ton of mattresses in my day, and more and more so, I would wake up tired. I would wake up feeling like, did I even sleep? Did I even feel refreshed? Absolutely not. And I kept, I kept reasoning with myself. Well, you're in your mid twenties now. It's only gonna go downhill from here. You just gotta get used to it. But then I swapped my mattress for a Helix sleep mattress, and I wake up feeling eighteen again. Okay, I wake up rejuvenated. So Helix sleep is different in the sense of you take this online two minute quiz that's super easy to fill out, and it's just about your comfort level. Are you a side sleeper, which I am? Do you sleep hot? Do you sleep cold? All of these questions that are really important when you're picking the mattress of your dreams. Literally, pun intended. Then it matches your body type and your sleep preferences to the perfect Helix mattress of your dreams. Okay, we got matched with the Midnight Lux.、Um, we love it. Like he's a hot sleeper. He sleeps on his back. I sleep on my side. It works amazing for both of us. They have mattresses that are great for spinal alignment, so that you don't wake up with those morning aches and pains. They also have Helix Plus mattresses for plus size sleepers. Setup was easy. The delivery process was honestly seamless. Just everything about it has been a huge upgrade compared to what we used to have. So just. Just go to helixsleep.com/baking to take their two-minute quiz, and they will match you with a customized mattress that is perfect. You get the best sleep of your life, and it will be delivered to your door with free shipping. You don't ever have to go to that weird mattress store again and lay down while a salesman is just breathing down your neck, and you're like, "This is this is uncomfortable." Okay, and you don't have to take my word for it. Did you know in 2020, GQ and Wired magazine named Helix best overall mattress pick of 2020? And there's a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out 100 nights risk-free. What does that mean? You don't like it after 100 nights? They will pick it up for you, no questions asked. They will take your mattress back. They also have financing options and flexible payments. Helix is offering you guys up to two hundred dollars off all mattress orders and two free pillows when you go to helixsleep.com/baking. That's helixsleep.com/baking. I've gotten the puff pastry. Now we're just gonna push down the insides with the spoon to make it look like, wow, it's actually working. A little bit like a like a little crust, you know? Create a crust. That's what we're gonna be doing. That sounds crispy. Sounds so good. No, like a little recessed area. I saw this recipe on TikTok, by the way. Of course. Of course, I did. <laughs> Most credible <laughs> cooking source. So she keeps showing up for these therapy sessions. What she doesn't realize is that Dr. Shields is actually sacrificing a lot to be with her. She has actually suspended her studies at NYU. She's suspended her teaching. She's also suspended the psychiatric study. And most people would pay her four hundred and twenty-five dollars to talk to her for fifty minutes, but instead she's paying Jessica. So why is this teacher? Why is this psychiatrist? This professor giving up everything to talk 
to Jessica,、uh-huh. and she's just not really saying anything. Everything she's saying is inconsequential. The biggest secret that she revealed is the fact that she's、um, a little bit judgmental of herself. So, for example, you know the the psychiatrist, Dr. Shields, she was wearing this really beautiful burgundy nail polish, and Jessica was like, "Wow, I, I love your nail polish." Oh, I, I could never do burgundy though. Oh my god, I would look so dumb. I would look so stupid. And she was just rambling. Then she went on to talk about how it's actually her fault that her younger sister is disabled. She had never told this to anyone before in her entire life. And so she, Doctor Shields, is trying to encourage her. Yeah, just open up. What's wrong? What's going on? Well, when I was young, I was about thirteen years old. Becky was what seven.、Um, I was supposed to be babysitting her that summer. My parents never really made good money, so I was just a built-in babysitter. I wasn't getting paid. It was every single day. I'm just a babysitter. And that day, I was just so annoyed. You know, seven-year-olds they they never calm down. They want to do this. They want to do that. They want to ask you five million questions. And she somehow went into my room, got my diary, and I was just like, Becky, I need you to just sit down for one second, please. So I decided to lock her in my parents' room. I turned on the TV, even though she's only allowed to watch TV for one hour. I turned that shit on. I gave her three cookies, and I locked her in that room. I locked my parents' door so that she couldn't get out. And all I wanted to do was ride my bike to the local gas station and just pick up one magazine. Seventeen magazine, okay, that's it. I wanted to pick it up, come home, and then I could read it with Jessica, or I could read it with Becky. I could, I could just hang out for once. I wanted to be a thirteen-year-old, but I forgot about the second-story window in my parents' bedroom. The kid climbed out. And while I was gone, Becky, the seven-year-old, she had climbed out and fallen out of the window. And she suffered a traumatic brain injury because of that. And when her parents got home, she was already home at this point. She had called her parents. They rushed home. She just didn't have it in her to tell them that she wasn't home, that it was her fault. Oh, so the parents don't even know at this time. So they took her Becky to the hospital, and the whole time they kept saying, "Becky, why would you play around with that window?" And she just couldn't tell them. And she's crying as she's telling Doctor Shields because she has never told anybody this before. And she comes over, and Doctor Shields wraps a beautiful, like gray wool cashmere wrap around her, the one she was wearing, and hugs her and says, "It's not your fault. It's really not your fault." And that's so. Doctor Shields is being super nice to her. So nice. Huh. And she leaves that therapy session getting paid. And she says, "You know, Jessica, take the take the wrap home. It's cold outside. Keep it warm. Just take it home." And when Jessica leaves, Doctor Shields walks over to her cabinet, takes out her shopping bag, and pulls out the same exact wool wool wrap. She had only bought it a couple hours ago. So it kind of leaves you with this feeling of like, did she know? That she was gonna do this, like was this some sort of move?、Oh. Whatever she talked about, was she gonna try to comfort her and give her this wool wrap and make her feel like it's okay? Like you're special, you're different from my other patients. Because what kind of psychiatrist gives away such a beautiful, like Saks Fifth Avenue, freaking wrap to a patient because they're crying? That's a really smart move. Smart move. Next time you go on to a date, just. Yeah. Buy some like nice scarf ahead of time and, and just give, give it, it away.、Them. Like, oh, here, take it home, baby. You're cold, baby. You're so cold. You're so cold. Just hold on to it. I'm like.
Bitch, it's August, okay? <laughs> I'm actually sweating. <laughs> I'm actually like trying to take off my clothes. <laughs> You're like giving me the biggest wool scarf. <laughs> okay, so now you put some dill and some capers on. Like this. I it love looks like capers. But <laughs> and now we're going to uh, cut it with some scissors this and is try done? a bite. It's done. What? Shall we try a bite? Okay. I thought you were going to bake it again. No, apparently that makes it soggy. Um, do you have you, tissue? You, you can have a bite okay. first. Oh my god. Is it good? Better than a pizza. I gotta give this to my mom. Mm. Is it that good? Or okay. it's okay? The, the feta cheese is a little thick. I'm gonna be a little honest with you. It's a but little But you thick. could put less. But I could totally put less. So it's your fault. And these crispy onions, I could put more. Make it really a pizza at this point. Okay, babe, do you have your... Uh, That's a lot of... Um, dill? I got feta cheese on Thank you. What do you think? This is, um... Mm -hmm. This is some LA stuff. Mm -hmm. This is the type of brunch that... You'd pay $30 for. Yeah. It's good, but it's not... Yeah. It's not dank. Mm -hmm. It's kind of healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's but something it's you will healthy. order. Mm -hmm. Something you will order. And I'll just have to eat it because. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need to take out some of this feta cheese. But other than that, oh my God. It's crazy because I'm only like 20% way through. The story? Are you kidding me? So everything about it just seems so calculated. Then the next time that they have a session, Dr. Shields give Jessica Ferris a present. She opens it up. It's a tiny little box, beautifully wrapped with a ribbon. She undoes it delicately, and it's that same shade of burgundy nail polish from Chanel. Dang. And she's like, I, I can't do this. I told you, I can't do bur burgundy. No, Jessica, I think that you should give these things a try. Get out of your comfort zone. So she takes it home and sure enough, she tries on that burgundy nail polish and she actually falls in love and she starts wearing it every single day. Now to Dr. Shields, this is an amazing sign because this means that Jessica trusts her. They're forming a relationship and it's really important for the next phase, the next step. Now here's the thing with Dr. Shields. Who is this mysterious woman? We want to know her background. What's going on with her home life? Is she that bored? Like, have you ever heard of a work-life balance lady? Like, you're thinking that, okay? Well, Dr. Shields, from the outside perspective, she looks like a powerful woman. Just, she looks like the type of woman that I would be scared to have a conversation with because we are not on the same intellectual level. Obviously, I'm much higher. <laughs> kidding. Okay? Like, I would just be nervous. I would be saying something wrong. I'd be using a word in the wrong context. But at the same time, she seems like the type of woman that wouldn't judge me in a bathing suit. Like, it's odd. It's really weird, right? And she's got this beautiful townhome town in New York City. She's got a meticulously clean office. I mean, she looks like the front cover of an Architectural Digest magazine. 
That's the vibe that she's giving. She is married to a man by the name of Thomas Cooper. Now, the way that she met Thomas seven years ago is fascinating. She was in her office, and this was her early years of psychiatry. She's talking to one of her patients by the name of Hugh. Now, the thing with Hugh is that he was, um, he's got an obsessive personality, and he becomes obsessed with people and these relationships that he creates in his head. And one of those was Dr. Shields. So he becomes so just clinging to her and she realized nothing I can do at this point is gonna help your mental state. It's only gonna worsen it. So she had to cut off contact with the patient. She says, Hugh, this is gonna be your last session with me. I'm gonna refer you to A, B, C, and D psychiatrists, but I don't think that I can be beneficial to your mental health anymore. Now, he took this really hard. He stood outside her office, waited for her to get off, just wanted to talk to her. What do you mean? Why can't we just, let's just try one more session. I, I promise I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna do this. And she says, Hugh, I can't. And she sends him away. And as she's walking down the dark staircase, headed to her car, she hears footsteps behind her. She's thinking it's probably Hugh, right? Oh no, I mean, she's a psychiatrist, but even like the monologue, the inner monologue for Dr. Shields in this book is very cold. It's She's very much the stereotypical, logical person. So even when she starts feeling her pulse race because she feels like he was following her, she's not saying, oh my God, I was so nervous. In her inner dialogue, she's saying things like, oh, my pulse is starting to quicken, which is a clear sign that I'm anxious, that I'm nervous. She's analyzing herself. Analyzing herself. Now, I don't know how I feel about it because I feel like most therapists don't do this. I feel like this is like, um, like maybe a very... Maybe they do. Maybe that's their... You think so? Yeah, they, they've done it so often. Maybe, because it feels like a really dramatization of a therapist. Because I, from what I know, I feel like therapists have just as fucked up lives as we do. You know, I don't necessarily think that they're just so like, oh, well, I'm not feeling panic right now. I'm feeling a quickening of the pulse and this is my emotion. I'm sure that they're just as emotional, right? It's, they gotta be. So she's just getting panicked. She's running down the steps and then the lights shut off. And now she's weighing out her options. If I keep running, then I risk the injury aspect. I could slip and fall and then I could be injured, which means that I can't run away if Hugh is gonna come downstairs. She's like running through all of these. It's like a little movie in her head. And then all of a sudden a voice comes out. Hello? And it's not Hugh. Uh, did it just get dark in here? Is anyone down there? And he starts walking towards her. The lights turn back on and she's looking at this yeah, yeah, guessed it, like a six-foot Greek god, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is, uh, he's Thomas Cooper. He's a psychiatrist that also works in the building. They run into each other that way. They have, they have dinner dates that week. They get married within six months. I mean, it was like love at first sight. They bonded over psychiatry. They bonded over the fact that they're both super hot people. Duh. And that's just her marriage situation. They're living in that beautiful architectural digest home where nothing is out of place ever. It's like nobody even lives there. It's a model home. They're both psychiatrists making big money in New York City. I wish I could be her. Well, maybe not later. Meanwhile, Jessica Ferris is finally coming to her senses. Why did it take you 200 pages, girl? She's finally coming to her senses and she realizes, oh my God, I was so swept away in the charisma of Dr. Shields, that I don't get it. Nothing that I say to her is of any, it's so inconsequential to the world, to her, 
to the world of psychology. Like, I am not this, like, I didn't suffer any traumatic event. I didn't have this crazy life experience, like, you know, being on a boat for 70 days, lost at sea. That's a podcast we did. True, true crime, okay? Rotten mango. Like, I didn't experience that. What could I possibly say that she's willing to pay me that much for? I realized I didn't even Google anything about this woman. But I don't go to NYU, she's looking online, all of them are academic papers, academic credentials, nothing really gives her the tea, the expose on Dr. Shields. So what does she do? She goes back to Taylor's apartment. She's calling her, hey uh, Taylor, this is, um, this is Jessica from Beauty Buzz. I, I recently did your makeup, I was just wondering if you could give me a call back. It's kind of urgent. Hangs up, gets to Taylor's place, starts knocking on the door. At first she's calm. Then she starts getting frantic. All the neighbors start opening the door, sticking their head out. What's going on, right? And she starts really banging on it. She's getting more and more frantic. Like, wait, what am I, what am I telling this woman? Why does this woman even want to talk to me? Do I know this woman? D does this no woman know me? Was I chosen for some reason? She starts freaking out. A neighbor comes out and says, hey, what's the deal here? I'm just looking for uh, Taylor or uh, Mandy, her friend. I, I, I don't know if they both live here. I think maybe just Taylor lives here. The woman looks confused. And for a brief second, Jessica's like, oh shit. This woman is gonna look me in the eye and tell me, I don't know a tailor that lives there. Nobody lives there. Nobody's lived there for a year. She's gonna tell me some crazy shit and I'm gonna be mind blown. The lady goes, oh, the, the, the student? She's probably in the library studying for finals. Oh, thank God. So she rushed to the library, NYU. I don't know how she gets in, okay? But she gets in. She finds Taylor and Mandy and she's like, I need to talk to you. Who are you? <laughs> I was your makeup artist. What? Um, okay, what do you need to talk about? So remember you got that phone call about um, the psychiatric study with Dr. Shields and Ben Click and Hunter Hall, room 214? Well, you didn't go, so I went. That's weird. Um, okay. <laughs> Can I talk to you in private, please? Do you know, what do you know about Dr. Shields? I don't know. My friend was in her class and she told me that there's a psychiatric study for $500, so I applied. That's it? That's all you know about Dr. Shields? Like, you don't know anything else? Like, does she, does she work at NYU? Like, has she, how long has she been here? Do you know anyone that knows Dr. Shields? Um, okay. <laughs> I can give you Amy's phone number. Okay, yeah, give me her number. So she takes down Amy's number and immediately she's calling her. Hi. This is, you know, you don't know me. I'm Jessica Ferris. I just have a couple questions about Dr. Shields. And she's busy too. She's like, oh, I'm on my way to LaGuardia. Like I'm going to the airport. Okay, well, can you tell me anything about her? Yeah, I mean, she was a good teacher. I would say like a good professor. She gives you fair grades. She's a little bit harsh, but she's, she's not unfair. She's really nice, but I would kill her for her closet. Yeah, I would totally just murder her for some shoes. Okay, well, what do you know about the psychiatric study? Oh, I was in it. I was subject number, um, I think 16. Yeah, I was subject number 16. I just went in and I, I answered some questions about like, would I ever steal something from the counter? Like, would I do this? Would I ever lie on my medical bills? You know, all of that. Okay, and what, what about it, like the in-person part? Hmm? No, I only went in for two days. It was all on the computer. Okay, well, if there's anything that comes up, can you please call me? Sure. And they hang up. 
So she's a little bit stressed and she's thinking, well, what can I do? You know, Jessica's like, I want to I wanna blow off some steam. Do I go do some drugs? No, I can't do that. Do I go to, go to Pilates class? No, those are freaking expensive. I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to hook up with someone. That's going to blow off some steam, okay? But then she realizes there's something in the back of her mind that's stopping her. It's the fact that she's going to see Dr. Shields tomorrow and she's going to have to tell her about it. And for whatever reason, Jessica feels this feeling of, I don't want to disappoint her. Bizarre. Wait, what? Yeah. I guess she's that charismatic. Mm. She's at the same time she's a little bit creeped out, but you know, how could how can you say that this person's weird? She's a psychiatrist, you know, well known. She does. She's at NYU. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't want to disappoint her. Now, Dr. Shields has a lot of credentials under her belt. She actually wrote a book called The Morality of Marriage. And it's it's just talking about how married couples behave, how they work, the psychology behind it. And everyone would assume that her relationship with Thomas Cooper is absolutely perfect. Because who writes a book on marriage unless it's absolutely perfect? And they did have an absolutely perfect marriage. For the time being, they had the wedding band inscriptions. On their wedding bands, he wrote, you are my true light. Like, that's how cheesy they were. They loved talking. Every single night, they would come in with a glass of wine because both of them were psychiatrists. They were so good about HIPAA, patient confidentiality. They always referred to their patients as subject 10. Subject 10 said this, patient 11 said this to me today, and they would just get each other's opinions, they would never break confidentiality, boring. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, sit down babe, let me tell you the tea. So Jessica today, (laughs) you know know Jessica? Let me show you her Instagram. (laughs) That would be me, okay? But they're sitting there like, you know, patient 12, we had this, you know, uh, overcoming this today was difficult for me. They would talk about all of these little mundane things. They were the perfect couple. But then she, uh, she noticed some things. He would be late for dinner sometimes. He would say, oh, I'm working late today, which isn't necessarily uncommon because when you have patient emergencies, sometimes you have to go into the office. Sometimes a patient gets admitted to the hospital, you have to go in and fill in the psychiatrist who's working the psychiatric unit at the hospital. So there, it's not uncommon. But one day, she just can't help but feel this feeling. Something's weird. So she takes her car, drives to Thomas's office. He says that he has a patient coming in. It's an emergency after hours. And she's watching the building. His motorcycle's parked out there. That's a good sign. Okay, his lights are on in his office building. That's a good sign. Let's see. Is a patient going to come running in? Are they going to be crying, holding a box of tissues? Is it going to be a family emergency? Maybe the whole family is going to come in. But then all she sees is this one woman who looks about her age with this very beautiful, you know, trench coat, walking in with some coffees. She doesn't look like she's in an emergency. If anything, she looks relaxed. Okay, but it's an office building. Maybe she's not going into Thomas's office. So she watches, and almost soon after, Thomas's office blinds shut. (laughs) Well, that's a little weird now, huh? It's now time for the next step for Jessica. Dr. Shields texts her, I need you to pick me up a package at this street from this counter. It's already wrapped in everything and just bring it to my office. Obviously, you'll be compensated for your time. She's a personal assistant now. So Jessica goes and picks it up. Now here's the test about it. This is a beautifully just white bag, white tissue paper. There's no logo. You have no idea where it's from. It's kind of heavy for how small the bag is. And you could just easily on the walk to Dr. Shields office, 
take one tissue paper out, look at it, put it back in. No one would know. Literally, Dr. Shields would never know. And you pull the paper, there's a camera. There's a GoPro. <laughs> You're like, oh <laughs> So, I mean, it's just so simple of a task. And of course, the whole way, Jess is thinking, are you kidding me? I want to look so bad. Why is it so heavy? What is this package? Is the package for me? Is it for her? Why am I picking up this package? I'm sure she has assistance. So she shows up the office and Dr. Shields is like, okay, aren't you curious to know what's inside? Yeah, I mean, I, I assumed, is it like a couple of books? It's kind of heavy. And to Dr. Shields, she confirms Jess did not look inside. Everything about her face, she had been studying Jess up until this point. Nothing was indicating her from not telling the truth, from her hiding something. She seemed relaxed. She didn't avoid eye contact. She genuinely seemed curious to know. She mm -hmm. genuinely was like, oh my God, are you going to open it? So she passed the test. She passed the loyalty test. If I tell you to do something, you'll do it without trying to cheat. So she opens it up and it's this beautiful glass statue of a falcon. And she says, well, it's for my husband, Thomas. It's for her husband. And Jess is shook. I didn't know you had a husband. So it's like, like a therapist's office, they're not supposed to have a lot of personal details. They can have generic hobbies, they can have generic pictures of things, but it's really recommended that therapists don't put like pictures of their family. Why? Because you just never know. Sometimes patients can become obsessive uh. or ask too many questions. You want to protect your family. Yeah. So at this point, she had no idea. And Dr. Shields is left-handed. She's always taking notes. I never saw a ring. And she tells Dr. Shields that I didn't know you were married. Sorry, I, I never saw a ring when you were taking notes. Oh, I, I was getting it resized. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's for my husband. And Jess can't help but think, I bet I bet he's like old school money. I bet he's East Coast money. I bet he lives in Connecticut. I bet he drives this. I bet he's Ivy League educated. Like, can you just imagine this power couple? And she's thinking, like, maybe he's like the head of surgery at a hospital. Ooh, yeah, that sounds like a good one. But she's, she's pretty spot on too. Yeah, no? and she's thinking all of this, right? She's like, this, is, this makes sense. And all she can say to the freaking Falcon statue, because she's already planning out this whole life that Dr. Shields has is just, wow, wow, it, wow, it's beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful. Okay, that's all for now, Jess. Thank you so much. Um, okay, don't worry, you'll be paid for it, but uh, thank you. And she just leaves. Jess is confused. I don't, I don't understand. This is supposed to be some sort of test, right? We didn't have any therapy sessions today. Maybe that was the test. Oh my god, I should have reacted better. I should have said something about the falcon statue that was insightful, that showed that I cared about it. <gasps> I, I should have given her wrap back. Oh my god. I wore her freaking wrap to her office. I never returned it. <gasps> she probably is trying to get me to offer to not get paid. I mean, this was the smallest work. I should have just told her, no, you don't have to pay me. I realized that she didn't set a time for the next therapy session. She always does that at the end of our session. She's like, well, how does next Wednesday work? <gasps> She's done with me. It sounds like you overthinking but every I need scenario. The, yeah, she's like, but I need the money. I need to, I need to stockpile money before my dad actually gets laid off. So she texts her back. Okay, don't sound desperate. Don't sound panicked. But you have to sound, you have to sound assertive. Using Grammarly, Dr. Shields, thank you so much. Uh, you really don't have to pay me for this. It was my pleasure. And the Falcon statue was absolutely stunning, breathtaking, beautiful. I mean, extraordinary. And on top of that, I, I realized that I forgot to give you your wrap back. I will remember at the next session, which brings up the topic, when's our next session? Does a Wednesday same time work for you? <laughs> and she texts that. 
So now Dr. Shields, she's sitting in her office looking at this falcon statue, reminiscing about her marriage. It used to be so perfect until she saw that woman go up into his office. Then she got a text message. He was supposed to be out playing poker with the boys that night. He had told her this way in advance. Hey, don't wait for me on Friday night. I'm playing poker with the boys. But then he got a te- she got a text message that said, Hey, can't wait to see you tonight, gorgeous. From her husband. So the husband miss- yes. sent the message? Mm-hmm. This is so basic. What kind of yeah. mistake is this? So she, uh, she just texted him back. I don't think that that was meant for me. He rushed home. That night he was kicked out. He's staying at like a, an apartment Wait, why, now. Wait, why is that not for her, she assumed? Because he's going out to play poker with the boys. Ah, uh, I see, I see. Yeah, she wasn't expecting him home at all anytime soon. Well, he could have been like, I canceled the boys and can't wait to see you tonight, gorgeous. Or he's like, I just call the boys gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually meant for the boys. Yes. So she just texts him, I don't think that was meant for me. They break up. He still wants to make it work. He's begging her, please don't go, da-da-da-da-da. And for a while, it's working. I mean, they're going on dates. They're rekindling their love. It's like a fresh new romance. But around the time of her psychiatric study on morality and ethics, he drops by her house drops his key into the bowl out of habit, right at the front door. And along with it, some coins, anything that was in his pocket, some spare change, and a tiny little folded up receipt to a very expensive Cuban restaurant for two. And that dinner, he talked on and on about the mundane things about work, oh this, oh patient number 15 did this, and this and that happened, oh my god, traffic was so bad. But he forgot to mention that very expensive Cuban lunch that he had today. I think she's more than a psychiatrist. She's a detective. She's an FBI agent. Yeah. She's CIA. She's an analyzing every detail. She is me. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I am. And at that moment, as she's reminiscing, she checks her text message. It's Jessica. This is perfect. This proves her devotion to me. This proves that she's ready for the next step. How much she's putting value into our work together. Good. We need that. And she starts typing on her computer. A case study. The temptation of infidelity. Hypothesis. Thomas is an unrelentless adulterer. There is only one subject, Thomas, and only one variable, Jessica. And it would be a pity to lose either of you. That's what she writes on her little computer. She's in too deep. She's in too deep. <laughs> she texts Jessica back, meet me at this hotel bar at this time. I'll have a driver pick you up. Now Jessica's ecstatic. She sees this text message. Hell yeah, we're going out to dinner. And she almost feels like, wow, it's like an older sister, younger sister relationship. Like I'm going to meet her at this bar. We're going to bond. What should I wear? She told me to look a little bit sleek. I should have my hair down. I should be wearing a black dress for a nice evening out. She spends so much time getting ready. Gets into the car that Dr. Shields got for her. Get skirt skirt gets to the hotel, but she doesn't see Dr. Shields anywhere. Maybe she's waiting for me in the lobby. Goes into the lobby. She's not there either. Then she looks down at her phone and she gets a text message. Enter into the hotel bar from the right. Sit down near the group of boys in the center. Choose a seat at the bar that's very close to them. Okay, that's weird. Is this another experiment? So she goes, finds a seat close to the group of guys, sits down, and almost immediately one of them approaches her. I'm Sam. He looks like one of those typical Wall Street boys. Just, you know what I'm talking about. Like the fresh Rolexes, the crisp jeans, like, uh-huh, and we can, you know, bonds. 
and you're like, okay. You're like, okay, cool, Kevin, cool. So he is chatting up a storm. She's like, am I supposed to flirt back? Like, a, is this, is he a plant? Is he part of the study? Is he supposed to talk to me? And then she gets another text. Not that one. Find the guy with the striped shirt sitting alone at a booth. She looks over and sees the man. He's on his phone. Okay, she walks over, a little bit nervous, and says, Hi! Oh my god! Uh, nice to see you here! <laughs> what? What? Uh, I'm Jessica! Remember I um, met you at the, the wedding a week ago? A wedding a week ago? I didn't go to a wedding week ago. No, um, oh, like two weeks ago, what, what was her name? V Vanessa? Vanessa's wedding? I don't think, you must have me confused with someone else. Okay, here's the thing. There's a guy over there, he won't leave me alone. Can I just sit here with you for like a couple of minutes? So she sits down and she sees another text to flirt with him, touch his arm. Okay, okay, so she's doing it. Now Dr. Shields is sitting in a nearby booth and she's watching them. And she gets a little excited because as Jessica walks over, the guy's whole posture changes. He sits up straighter. He seems more attentive. He's laughing loudly. You know, he's, he's flirting back. This is very similar to the situation that she remembers not too long ago when Thomas was at this very bar, at this very hotel, and a woman had approached him and they ended up going home together while he was still married to Lydia Shields. She saw it? Well, he told her about it. He confessed to all of it. And he oh. kept telling her she was the aggressor. I, I didn't even pursue her. I was in a vulnerable position. I was getting drunk by myself, minding my own business. This woman came up to me. She kept showing me her left titty. I mean, it would, it would take... Do you know how many... Most men can't... Okay, we're doctors. We're psychiatrists. We know. We know the weaknesses of men. They have strengths, don't get me wrong. But like we know the very strong weaknesses of men, right? You can't blame me. I mean, you can, and I, I regret it so much, but it's not like I wanted this. You know, most men can't really resist temptation, but it's just straight in their face, so blatant, so aggressive. They're like little children. They don't have self-will or, you know, discipline. Mm. And this was a test, I guess. And she's happy because... This guy is also flirting back with Jessica. And she's feeling the anxiety just leave her system. Okay, this is good. So then it's true. Most men cannot resist a beautiful woman that walks up to them in a bar. Unsolicited, just temptation walking straight into their face. They can't resist it. What? Meanwhile, Jess is sitting there confused as hell. I don't understand. I mean, why does she want me to talk to this guy and not that guy? They're the same dudes. They, they talk the same. They're boring. They're lame. What's the difference? Then she notices it. The guy at the bar did not have a ring on his left hand, but this one does. Are you kidding? She wants me to flirt with a married man? What kind of, what kind of ethical study is this? And she's getting pissed, but she's still going along with it. And then finally, she texts Dr. Shields the words that are going to slam straight into her chest. He said that he was happily married and that he had to go up to his hotel room. I don't understand this study. So he's being loyal? Yes. And Dr. Steele does not like that? Yes. Why? Because she wanted to prove to herself that all married men, when faced with the same temptation that Thomas was faced with, they would all cave because men are idiots. But then she realized that there are good men out there. Wait, this is not it's her husband. not her husband. I thought that was her husband. Yeah. 
What? It's just another random married dude. Oh, and my he's bad. loyal. My bad, Kevin. <laughs> my bad, Kevin. Kevin, you get a cookie. <laughs> I have an interesting question though. Yes. What if someone invented a wedding ring, yes. wedding band for men? Yeah. Once you put on, you can't take it off. <laughs> it's like. It's I don't like know. Glue onto your skin. With the divorce rates in this country, I don't know if that's a good idea, though. I mean, you can always chop off the finger. What if it's like a wedding ring that only a key can unlock to take off? Right, right. But Something someone else like has that. the key. Exactly. It just stuck onto it while but you're in the marriage. I think. I think that if it gets to that point, yeah. the marriage is done. No. <laughs> but I don't know. Do you think, like, at the honeymoon stage, everybody will say, "Let me do it. Let's do it." Uh, I love you forever. Don't you think we'll sell a lot of this? I think so. Right. I think you might have be onto something. Right. I think so. Okay. What about at the the honeymoon stage? I just ask you to get a tattoo of my name on your face. Huh. 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 Under Shields is crushed, but she has to move on, and she already has dinner plans with Thomas that night, so she's a little bit stressed. They go out to dinner, and she's out of it. She's not really into it. Not doesn't want to talk to him, and he tries to overcompensate by being too involved in her life. So what about that uh, private investigator that reached out to you, that was hired by Subject Five's family? So we find out that she's got some weird relationship with another patient of hers, and the family has hired a private investigator to look into Lydia Shields. And she says, "You know, I don't like talking about that. Okay." They want me to release the notes to her, but I can't. It's confidentiality. I can't. I can't give her the notes from our sessions. Now the next meeting was at Lydia's townhome. Jess shows up. Is just looking at the place. I mean, it's just as beautiful as her office. She sees her husband's shoes, her husband's coats. I wonder if he's here today. I wonder if I'm gonna meet him today. She's looking around. I mean, everything is just perfectly in its place. There's wedding pictures, which. Wow! By the way, husband hot. Okay, she's like, holy shit, that's your husband. Oh my god!、And、then she's looking at you know pictures of just Lydia. She looks beautiful, carefree, even on the beach. Why does she look so classy on the beach? How is her hair not tangled? And Lydia tells her, I have another assignment. I need you to go to the Met Museum and go through this exhibit. It's a motorcycle exhibit. Oh,、uh, okay. Is there a reason? No. And then I need you to report to my office right after, about thirty minutes after. Okay. Gets ready, you know, it's all prim and proper. Is walking to the Met when she sees an old woman walk out into the crosswalk and a car slams into her, and she starts freaking out. The blood is draining from her face. Other people start freaking out, rushing to the scene, and she's left with this dilemma. Oh my god! Oh my god! There's so many people helping this old woman, right? So many people, but she feels like she should help. She feels like she should at least stay and wait until the doctor, until the paramedics arrive, right? But at the same time, why should she when there's so many people? And if she waits, then she would be late for the museum, and she doesn't know what the test is. And it seems like Jessica is just overthinking everything in her life. Is this a test? Is that a test, right?、Mm-hmm. So she looks at the man that's helping the woman, and she's like, "Here, here's my、um, business card. Can you please? I know it's a weird favor. Can you just call me and tell me if she's okay later? I, I have a meeting. I gotta go." So this way, she can tell Doctor Shields, "I didn't leave without helping. You know, I cared enough to leave my business card,、mm-hmm. and I also like that's a that's a real valid excuse, you know."、Mm-hmm. So she goes into the museum and is looking at all these pictures. There are motorcycles, and she's like, "Okay, this is really lame. I don't know why I'm looking at these." Oh my god, was the test the entrance fee? So like a lot of museums, there's not a set entrance fee. It's like pay as much as you can,、mm-hmm. as much as you'd like.、Mm-hmm. Typically, people do like twenty-five dollars. 
Mm-hmm. It says that, but she only had a ten and a twenty, and she thought, okay, a thirty. She's still struggling, so she just put in the ten dollars. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Maybe Doctor Shields is watching. She saw me only do ten dollars, so she starts freaking out, going through this exhibit. Then she sees this really hot dude in a motorcycle jacket. She's like, hey, uh, what's so cool about these pictures? Just starting up a conversation. Why are they all in black and white? It's kind of boring now. Now I think the artist just really wants you to focus on the beauty of the machinery. Of a motorcycle? Yeah, I mean, look at the lighting. The lighting is, yeah, it's just black and white, but the lighting is focusing on the handlebars. This one, the lighting is focusing on the engine. It's really, you know, I think it's beautiful. Okay, yeah, totally. She looks at her watch, it's time to go. So she doesn't even talk to this guy anymore, rushes out of there, okay? Gets to Lydia's office and they start talking. Tell me about the museum visit. Oh my God, so when I got there, I saw this car accident happen. I left my business card, but I didn't want to be late and there were already so many people helping, so I left my business card, then I went. Okay, did you uh, meet anyone? Um, yeah, I talked to this guy in a motorcycle jacket at the, the museum, briefly. Oh. Did he uh, flirt with you or anything? Um, I guess I wouldn't say it's flirting, but he was nice. He was tall, handsome. Yeah, really handsome. But no, I, I didn't get his number or anything. Okay, well, that'll be all. And she hands her a check for the session. She's a little bit confused. I mean, all of this is so weird. So she goes back home, and at that moment, she gets a text from the guy outside the Met. It says, Hey, just wanted to let you know, the old lady, Marilyn, she's doing fine. She's going to make a full recovery. Her kids came to the hospital. Okay, thank you so much. And then she can't help but this little feeling. She grabs her phone back. Are you free for drinks tonight? She's bored, you know? But at the same time, she's going through this moral dilemma of like, well, if I meet him for drinks, technically I'm dating this guy named Noah. But like, are we dating? We never said it was exclusive and Noah's really busy all the time and I never really get to see him. And besides, what Noah doesn't know won't really hurt Noah. And then like, I've been just so good about everything because of this stupid study. Why is she interested in this guy? She just has a thing for one night stands. Yeah, oh, the girl okay. just likes it, okay? okay, okay Don't okay. judge her, right? She's into it. So she's like, I just need to release some steam. It's been so long since I've had like a one-night stand that's meaningless, that's just a stress relief, you know? That's how she relieves her stress. And Noah is just not that exciting. He's like boyfriend material. They haven't even had sex yet. They literally just cook for each other. He makes her French toast every morning. They don't even sleep together. She's upset. <laughs> so they meet at a bar and they do it. And she's thinking to herself, how am I going to tell Dr. Shields this? She's going to be freaking disappointed in me. I don't know what to do. Her next assignment was to go to a diner, meet this man who's going to be sitting there reading the New York Times. He's got those tortoise shell glasses, and he's probably going to be drinking coffee, eating bacon and eggs. Okay, I guess it's another one of those assignments. This is getting bizarre at this point, but she's getting paid like $700 an assignment just to go briefly talk to a dude for like two seconds. Are you kidding me? So she shows up at that diner and she sees the guy. It's obvious this is the guy. And that is when her jaw drops. It's a guy from the Met yesterday. What? What are the coincidences? And it's too late. He already saw her. So she's like, Jessica? Yeah, hi, um, I was just in the area, wanted to grab something to bite. But you don't live in the area. What brings you to this neighborhood? Because they slept together last night. Uh-huh. 
Um, I was picking up something for my friend, and she told me that this restaurant was really good. Yeah, but I, sh I'm just gonna go. This is weird. I'm just gonna go. And he says, "Are you um, are you stalking me?" And he's like <laughs> genuinely confused. Like, are you being an absolute creep? And she's like, "No, it's nothing. It's nothing." She puts her bag on the table. She's like, "Here, I'm just gonna." Look, it's, I'm gonna go, right? So she leaves, and as she's walking to, you know, Lydia's office, she's confused. What do I tell her? Do I tell her that I literally hooked up with this guy yesterday? Is he part of the study? Like, is he one of the assistants? I'm gonna, I'm gonna freak out. And as she's walking, she gets a voicemail. She picks it up, listens to it. Hey, uh, it's Thomas. I'm calling because I think I know the woman that sent you here to meet me. And I just, listen, we need to talk. Don't tell her I know. Don't tell her we, we met. Just don't tell her anything. And be careful. She's dangerous. What? So her head is spinning. She shows up at the office, goes through the meeting, and she lies. She's like, yeah, I saw him at the diner. It was my, yeah, he was cute. I asked him for his number. He gave it to me, but we're not texting yet or anything. Okay, well, text him. See if he wants to go on a date. Okay, I will um, text him later. Yeah, I'll text him. Does the doctor know that she's lying? She seems a little weird. Uh -huh. And Jess is picking on some things. Ash is leaving. She's wondering, how do these two know each other? And did Dr. Lydia just call him Thomas? I never told her his name. Yeah. How does she know his name? Right? How do they know each other? And why yeah. would she want me to talk to him? Yeah. So she calls up Thomas and she meets with him. And he says, that's my wife. What? What? No, I, no, I've, I've literally been to her house. I saw a wedding picture of her. You're not her husband. You weren't even in the wedding picture. It was her and her husband. You're not her husband. And he says, listen, I have proof. So he pulls a picture, pulls a picture out of his phone and it's a wedding picture of them too. She photoshopped? No. She's like, then who is that guy? It's a family friend. They've been close forever. You know how you take so pictures? So she replaced yes. all the photos? Yes. Oh my and God. And she's like, well, how did you know that Lydia sent me? When you were fixing your purse inside of your bag, I saw The Morality of Marriage. And she wrote that book a couple years ago. So I knew that you must have been sent by her or you knew Lydia in some way. Why is he cheating on her? Yeah. And she's like, okay, but what does that matter to me? Well, she preys on young women like you. What do you mean she preys on young women? Meet me at this garden tonight. Okay, bizarre. So she shows up at that garden at night. It's like this tucked away little garden that she had never seen in all of her years of living in New York. It's not like Central Park, right? And Thomas tells her, don't tell her anything. There was another girl, subject five. Um, she was lonely. She was... She was going through a lot, okay? She was kind of, um, she had a lot going on. She was suicidal in high school. And Lydia took her in, just opened her arms up to her. They started talking a lot in the office. Then, then it was in our town home. And Lydia was the last one to see her before she overdosed on Vicodin in this garden. She killed herself. She was subject number five. But that doesn't make sense. Her parents don't think it makes sense either. She was happy before she committed suicide. She was feeling better. And Lydia was the last one to talk to her. And I just, I feel like something's weird.
So then why don't you just leave her? Why are you guys married? It's not easy to leave someone like Lydia. I've been trying. I tried to pretend like I cheated on her. I tried to make it seem like I was, you know, meeting all these other people and cheating on her and doing all these things. I even texted her one time saying like, oh, see you tonight, gorgeous or something. And I thought that that would be the easiest way out. But for some reason, she thinks that we can fix this marriage. We can still be together. Okay, well, why don't you just tell her no? Because I need to know what kind of woman Lydia is. I need to go in and I need to get her folder on subject five. What kind of... Like, these doctors are crazy. Yeah. Just So that she doesn't on. do this to another patient again. And I think that she might be doing it to you. And then Thomas is like, okay, well, I need to go. I need to go. I'm meeting with our divorce attorney tonight. We're trying to talk things through. We're officially getting a divorce, right? So I have to go. And Jess is like, okay, you're bizarre. You're weird. I don't know if I trust you. I don't know if I trust Lydia. I don't trust this whole thing. What's wrong with this couple? What's wrong with these people? What's wrong with these therapists? So what does she do? She does the only logical thing. She starts following Thomas all the way to Lydia's apartment. And that's when she sees it hiding behind a bush. They're just making out, you know, they're kissing. He's kissing the back of her hand. It definitely doesn't look like a guy who's scared of his own wife. It definitely doesn't look like a guy who wants to divorce his wife. It looks like a man full on in love. So who the fork is lying? And the only question running through her head at this point is who is more dangerous and why are they both lying? And the answer lies with the dead girl, subject number five. So she decides to look at her, um, she finds out the name, right, from Thomas. Her name is Catherine April Voss. Googles her, goes on her Instagram, she has pictures of her looking happy and carefree, and she keeps scrolling and that's when she sees it. A picture of April in her bed, covered in a bed sheet, just, you know, like one of those seductive movie pictures. Mm -hmm. And on the nightstand, the unmistakable tortoiseshell glasses. Thomas's glasses. <gasps> like your glasses are unmistakable. And they're oh tortoiseshell. Oh my god. What you, what's tortoiseshell? That pattern. Oh really? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Am I Thomas? <laughs> <laughs> you better not be Thomas, okay? So it's wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. So she shows up at April's house. No, seriously. I mean, she's doing too much. Jess goes from all of a sudden being the idiot that doesn't ask any questions. And now she's a detective CIA. Okay. I've got my comments at the end of this. So she finds out April's home address, goes to the parents and pretends like she was an old friend of April's and says, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Voss. I missed her funeral. Uh, we were drifting. I was studying abroad, but I just wanted to pay my respects to you. And they start talking and April's mom is so confused. Did you know she was on and off seeing a bunch of therapists? It doesn't make sense to me. She never mentioned it to me. Did she mention it to you? No, Mrs. Voss. I just don't understand. Well, before you leave, um, do you want to take a funeral program? It's, it's, it's a beautiful service. So she takes the program and on it, the lyrics, um, there's a saying. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. That's, that's a beautiful saying. Uh, where did you think of that? Well, a couple months before April died, she came over and she asked, Mom, have you heard of this saying before? I don't know where it's from. And I told her, oh, sweetie, it's because you're so young. It's, um, it's a Beatles song. A song? Yeah, a song. And they played it together. And it just was such a beautiful moment that they were dancing along to the Beatles together. 
and it just seemed appropriate to put on her funeral program. It's, uh, it's beautiful, Mrs. Voss. And then she leaves. And she confronts Thomas with this. She's like, Thomas, I know that you were having an affair with this girl that was a patient of Lydia's. Explain yourself, you know? And he says, listen, we met at a bar once. It was a one-night stand. I didn't think that she was going to become obsessive. I didn't know that she had any problems. I didn't know that she was experiencing mental health issues. And she became obsessed with me. And I don't know how she ended up as Lydia's patient. I don't know if she Googled me and then found out that my wife was a psychiatrist. My guess is as good as yours. Maybe she just wanted to check out my wife and check out the competition. I don't know. Do you want to find out what Lydia's doing? And Jess is like, tell me, how do we find out? Are you interested in finding your file? Yeah, I am. Well, I want April's file. I want to know the truth about my wife. I know the security code into our townhouse. You can sneak in while I'm on a date with Lydia and take pictures of both the files. So that's exactly what she does. She sneaks in, turns off the alarm, takes all the pictures, places it right back where she thinks it should be, then leaves. And she starts studying the notes. And she's shocked when she goes through the notes of her. She sees pictures of her family from Instagram that have been printed out. It's almost like a PI did their research. Now, I don't know how I feel about this because I assume that most therapists do stuff like this. Research about you? I mean, maybe not like Instagram picture printouts, but I'm sure that they try to... No? I have no idea. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I guess, like, at that point, I'd be like, yeah, I'm sure if my... Like, I assume any therapist I talk to is going to probably see my Instagram at least, no? Like, a job yeah. employer. Yeah, Even yeah, if yeah. a job employer sees your Instagram at least, then your therapist might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To I mean, better help you, you know? to it, It'll be a... Okay, that was too smooth. <laughs> to, to be better at helping you because they know you, right? <laughs> okay, okay, gotta go. <laughs> and then she starts going through April's notes and there's a big chunk of it missing. That kind of bothers Jess. Why, why would the notes be missing? So as she's studying this, Lydia gets home to her office and she is immediately halted in her tracks. Because she notices something. It's something that most people wouldn't notice because most people are right-handed. But whatever your dominant hand, on a desk, you tend to place things a little bit towards the dominant hand. So instead of being completely center, you might post, put a closed file a little bit to the right. It's exactly where you would think it would be if you're right-handed. But like I said, Lydia's left-handed. She would never do that herself. Oh my gosh. And at that point, Jess is confused. Why? Why is he trying to get April's file? There's nothing linking Thomas and April together in this file. Nothing at all. It doesn't seem like Lydia knows that they had an affair. Why mm -hmm. does he care so much? So she goes to his office and she's sitting down and she can't help but notice his office is the opposite of Lydia's. There's motivational quotes all over the wall, all over his mugs. Like just a very warm and inviting place. She's staring at the words love you in the middle of like one of these motivational quotes. Like, love you? Like, what is bizarre dude right so then she goes into his office and she's confronting him i just don't understand why you want this file so badly and he keeps saying i just need to know the truth and i can't tell her that we had an affair because it's gonna be weird it's gonna be bizarre and there, our marriage really ended because this woman committed suicide april committed suicide and she just went downhill from there she didn't want to talk to me she just wanted to stay in bed and i just i mean i need to know the truth did she do something to her 
So Jess needs to find out. I mean, it's bothering her too now. She goes to Lydia's house and she says, I need to know the truth. I know that you were trying to set me up with your husband. I don't understand. And she tells her, okay, um, okay. Well, he cheated on me. And I thought that maybe, you know, he told me that all married men cheat. They would all be tempted. I thought maybe, maybe you could... Try to tempt him. You look kind of similar to one of the women that he had an affair with. She was vibrant, full of life, and she was just the opposite of me. And so I thought maybe it would work. But then I realized that maybe he just would always cheat on me. I don't know. I just, I'm sorry. I, I know this is unprofessional. I'm sure that I've caused you so much emotional turmoil. <sighs> Here, take this. She goes upstairs and brings down a tiny pill and hands it to her. It'll help with the nerves. <gasps> and she's about to take it when she realizes this is a little weird. Yeah. And she slips it into her purse and she remembers a quote from the notes that were found in April's file. Yeah. Who takes random pills? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's her psychiatrist. Yeah. Okay. So it might be like, you know, because they can prescribe you pills, psychiatrists. Still. Yeah. So she remembers notes written on April's file. All traces of you were gone, and she thought that it was poetic always. Your wine glass has been washed. The grapes and cheese that we were eating gone. It's almost like you never existed in my life, just all gone. She always thought it sounded poetic, but now she's wondering if she, she saw her the night that she died. Uh-huh. Is this her saying that she got rid of all the evidence that you were with her that night? So she goes to that garden bench to think more. Come on, April, you gotta tell me what's going on here. And then it hits her. The funeral program. That's the link. In the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Love you. That was the sign in Thomas's office. The mm -hmm. motivational sign. Mm -hmm. This is the link. They didn't meet at a bar. Mm -hmm. She was probably a patient of his. So then we get a flashback from Lydia, thinking about her last night with April. And April was sitting there in the townhome, drinking wine, eating the cheese, and she starts talking. I keep thinking about him again. And Lydia's upset, you know, she came in for therapy because she was obsessing over a one-night stand. This is kind of her personality, April's personality. And she said, it's two steps forward, one step back, it's okay. You know, we're gonna move on together. And she says, yeah, but I think that he's a little special. He's different. And I forgot to tell you something. I didn't meet him at a bar. I was a patient of his. And Lydia is disgusted. Are you kidding? No, who? I mean, we need to tell the board. We need to, this guy should have his license revoked. This is a, this is a power dynamic. He's taking advantage of you. That is disgusting, despicable. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not really his fault. Like, I, I was the aggressor. No, it doesn't matter because of the power dynamic. It doesn't matter if you were the one pursuing him. He was your psychiatrist. This is absolutely foul. It's not your fault, April. It's okay. She puts her wrap around her. I also forgot to tell you one thing. Um, he was married. What? Why didn't you tell me that? April. We've been working weeks. If you had told me that he's married, I would have done a different treatment plan. You know, there's different things that we need to assess of why you're obsessed with this married man versus why you're obsessed with this guy. 
I know, I'm sorry, Mrs. or Dr. Shields. I just, I didn't want you to dis be disappointed in me. I really liked you. She softens up and she says, okay, bro. I really like you too. It's okay. It's not your fault. We can still work through this. I know, but I just can't stop thinking about him. Um, he was really cute. He had um, red hair and he was tall. And that's when Lydia realizes this girl's lying. She wasn't lying about him being married. That was the truth. And there's a reason. There's a motive for her to lie about that in the beginning. But why is she lying about what this guy looks like? Hertel is saying he had a uh, red hair. Why would you lie to me about his appearance? Mm -hmm. That's bizarre. There's no motive for you to lie to me about his appearance. But he told me that I shouldn't fall for him because I deserve better and I'm going to find someone who's going to be my true light one day. That's the inscription on their wedding dance. You uh -huh. are my true light. Uh. So she says, okay, April, well, why don't we take a walk? Just get some fresh air. So they go on a walk. They head straight for this isolated garden. And they have a heartfelt talk. And of course, she leaves by uh, handing her some Vicodin pills. This will help calm you down, April. Just take one or two. So we're getting, you know, close to the ending. Now we've got Lydia calling Thomas and Jessica over to her apartment. She sits them down and she says, listen, I have something both of you guys want. Jessica, I have a video of you breaking into my apartment. I can tell them that you're a patient. You probably saw my, me put in my code. That makes sense. And you know what? I did notice some of my expensive jewelry is missing. Who are they going to believe? Me or you? Thomas, I have something that you want too. Sure, you can get rid of your notes, you can get rid of your patient logs, but you didn't know that your office building takes logs of everyone. You probably forgot about it because you bypass security every time you walk in, but every patient has to sign in, write down what room they're going into. And she saw you the day before she died, April. And I was able to get that from the security guard. And I just need one thing from you guys. To tell me the truth. What happened between you two? What? And that is when Jess realizes this is Dr. Shield's weakness. She's not, she didn't kill April because she's obsessed, that she loves Thomas, or she's jealous. She did it to protect Thomas. What? Like Dr. Shields gave April all the pills, like that was her hypothesis. Uh-huh. And it's not because she did it because she was jealous of April, wanted to get rid of her and uh -huh. have Thomas all to herself. It was to protect Thomas because she was Thomas's patient. This would ruin his career. It would ruin his life if you sleep with a patient even after they're no longer your patient. <laughs> so she realizes this. I'm going to give you my thoughts about this ending, okay? And she says, did you give April the Vicodin? And she just fesses up to it. Dr. Shields fesses up to everything. Yes, I gave her the Vicodin, but I didn't tell her to take it. But what did you say to her before you gave her the Vicodin? I told her that my husband admitted to an affair, that he felt like it was nothing. She was absolutely nothing to him, just scum on the face of the earth, and he regretted every second of it. And they're shocked because 
Dr. Shields knew that April was struggling, that she was having suicidal thoughts. Like, why would you tell her this? This is going to push her over the edge. And then you left her with like a whole bottle of Vicodin. And she keeps confessing to Thomas, it's because I love you. I wouldn't have done this if I don't love you. And he says, I'm going to make sure Jess gets home safe. And we're going to call the police together tomorrow. And he leaves with Jess. He wants her to turn herself in. Now, Lydia, of all the things that she lost that day, she's probably going to lose her medical license, maybe even go to jail. I mean, potentially a lot of things. But Thomas was the hardest pill to swallow. So she writes a note incriminating herself in April's death, takes 30 Vicodin, and kills herself. Now at the ending, we have Jess's life, where um, she writes a letter, or she meets up with Thomas, and she demands money like a payout, and he gives it to her because he inherited all of Dr. Shields' money when she died. And at the very end, she has one question to herself, which is, was it worth it, Jessica? And that's the book. Okay, here are my thoughts on this, right? Well, I think I need some like recapping. Okay. I'm a little confused. Yeah. Chronologically, April met the husband yes, first. And then became obsessed found out his wife, entered in her study. Why then, did she go for the wife? Because she, I mean, it's like, I guess it's like you just want to check out the competition. Okay. Then she ended up really liking Dr. Shields. Okay. So then she wanted to kind of confess at the end because she uh -huh. felt like they were forming a real relationship. But Dr. Shields was not having it, uh -huh. was upset and said really harsh things to someone who she knew was on the brink of, yep. you know, having really bad thoughts and then gave her a lot of unprescribed Vicodin pills. Kind of killed ended up you know, overdosing by her own, you know, but it was, it was kind of escalated by yeah. Dr. Shields. Yeah. So then at that point, Thomas keeps cheating with more people. So he is a cheating He's ass. a cheating asshole, for sure, for sure. So what it was his whole speech about, oh, she preys on young girls, blah, blah, blah. It's literally like, I guess it's supposed to be this complex character of, um, he likes to be like, my wife is crazy and that's why I cheat on her. But that's not necessarily true. Yeah, it's like a weird situation where it is somewhat true. Like she has been driven crazy, but is it, how much is it because of Thomas and how much is it is because she's just crazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, here are my thoughts about and then, this. Yes. Hold on, hold on, I'm still not no, clear. No, of course. Yet. And then she started to doing a research. On ethics and morality. For what? Just for work. Okay, for and then she picked this girl. Yeah, and then Why Jess did she pick Jess? looked very similar to another woman that had an affair with Thomas. Which woman? Uh, just a different woman. Like a whole storyline. So she picked Jess because she looks like her? Looks like her and has the same spirit, like very vibrant, full of life. And she mentioned things of like, oh, I, I have uh, slept with guys where I thought that they had wives. And I just kind of turned a blind eye. And she liked that? Yeah, just felt her. like maybe, you know, she would turn a blind eye if she met a married man at a bar. So she wanted to use Jess to test the husband? To test Thomas. Why? And her theory that because she loves Thomas so much, so yeah. she would rather prove to herself, like a lot of people who get cheated on, not just women, but a lot of people, she would rather prove to herself that what he's saying of, oh, a guy can't resist temptation is true. Because uh -huh. then she feels like, well, that's all men. Now, here are my problems about So if this. it's all men, then she feels better about yes. Thomas cheating. Yes. 
So she just want to use Jess to make herself feel better. Yes. That's which, insane. Which is insane, right? So I think my problem with it is that some parts of the book really make Dr. Shields look like this calculated, very uh, logical, just, oh, I'm not anxious. I'm just feeling a shortness of breath. But at the end, all of her motivations are completely illogical. Exactly. Right? So that was kind of one of my big problems. My second reason why I'm excited to see this as a series is because there's a lot of... Um, a lot of details. See, I'm a very, I'm a very weird reader. Where if I see a detail, I'm gonna remember it. Uh-huh. I'm gonna remember it, you and then I'm gonna the expect something at the end. Exactly. But there's a lot where nothing happens. So a lot of detail, you feel like there, it wasn't close. Yes, but I do feel like in a series rather than a book that would translate really well. Like, I feel like in a series, you know, in shows, you want a lot of nonsensical stuff because you yeah. want it to last long. You want to enjoy the whole process. You yeah. don't want it to... Like, Game of Thrones, there were so many inconsequential parts that mm-hmm. really made it what it was until the last season, okay? <laughs> and it's just, like, really nice to watch these things. In a book, though, I was a little bit peeved because I was like, wait, what? You know, I remembered all these things and I was like, well, what, what happened to that? Yeah. I also didn't love the ending. Okay, here's my thought. I think that there is a good message in this. I think that the plot, it works, you know, there are a lot of details in it. It reads really more like a short series than it does a sit-down book, right? Because the book, it just builds the world. I think that's the thing, right? I think I expected so many of these little things to matter at the end, but I think that they were just building this universe for you to really get sucked into, and it works because you get sucked into it. But my issue is, I really love strong female leads. Like, I like them to do some crazy shit, even if they're not a hero. I like them to be, like, villains. I just think it's more interesting, it's more fun. And for a renowned psychiatrist to kill herself for her husband, I'm just saying, it's just not the vibe that I'm into. What I would like to have seen at the ending, imagine this. This is kind of what I thought it was going to lead to, right? Imagine this. Thomas, he's somewhat innocent and he's somewhat guilty. Career-wise, he's guilty. Marriage-wise, he's guilty, but he's not a killer. He's not necessarily a killer like Dr. Shields, right? In the sense of, like, he didn't give April the Vicodin. He just had a one-night stand. He cheated on his wife nonstop. It's not one-stop. He cheated consistently. Consistently. But my vision of the ending was that Jess finds out about this and she gets together with all of them. She has Thomas confess that April is a patient of his, right? She's able to catch it on camera. She's able to record it, turn it into the police, right? She saves Dr. Shields and she has now become the one that is obsessed with Dr. Shields, right? Something of that sort. Like turn Jess into a more dynamic person. Does that make sense? Like she gets, like Jess goes from being like, oh my God, my ethical study. And then at the end, she's like, well, now I have Dr. Shields all to myself. Does that make oh, sense? Oh, I see. So you, but you add some like twist to so Jess. So like everything that she's done up until this point is mm-hmm. more so her growing obsession with Dr. Shields and wanting to please Dr. Shields. Mm-hmm. And she's become obsessed with Dr. Shields. So everything Dr. Shields did was to s- save Thomas. Yeah, I wish there's a twist to that. Yeah, know? yeah. So, but because at first you think Doctor Shield was trying to what bait yeah. the husband mm-hmm. and catch her, mm-hmm. catch him in the action. Yeah, which is kind of like what she did try to do to save him. The reason for yeah. the baiting was to save. Or him. Or like even another twist where uh, Thomas was never her husband, 
And the psychiatrist is actually the one that needs a psychiatrist. Oh, I like that. You know? Mm, okay. Where they were never married. Yes. She's just trying to tempt him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like created this fake fictional life. And But then, then wouldn't that be another like one of those? like? Just, it would be another one of those. But yeah. I think I might have enjoyed it a little more. Mm. Right? I don't know. Yeah. Or what if Dr. Shields was no longer Dr. Shields? What if Dr. Shields was the one that committed suicide and patient number five took over her life <laughs> and tried to bait people into catching Thomas in the ass, but he genuinely thought that his wife had died because his wife had died, uh-huh. but April just kind of took over her life? I don't know. Like something like that, but obviously needs tweaking. Yeah. But I think something where like a... Like I a, love the setup. I wish there could be yes, more. Yes, the yeah. setup was so good. It's definitely a slow burn, so it's going to take some time to get into it. But once you're into it, they are really good at creating this like world together. Now, here's another thing that I'm fascinated by. Two people wrote it. I think that's insane. To have that type of collaboration, to have that type of like communication, absolutely out of this world. Yeah. Are they psychiatrists (laughs) no they also wrote another really good book um it's called the wife between us i believe the wife between us. this is their second book that they've written together yeah crazy it's so interesting so i don't know what are your thoughts on this do do you like the ending i mean sometimes i don't know maybe if it was a crazy ending i would have been just as upset Maybe I would have been like, come on, really? She's just obsessed with him, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe you can't please anyone. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on it? Do you like this some sort of, okay, I wasn't really expecting it because I was expecting something bigger ending? Mm-hmm. Let me know in the comments. And I hope you guys enjoyed this first Bake in a Mystery. I will be back with another BAM next week. And it's going to be in a different setting that I'm excited for. So stay tuned and I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.